Would somebody read chapter 50, verses 1 to 10? The word of the Lord which spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet, declare and proclaim among the nations, proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. For a nation has come up against her out of the north. It will make her land an object of horror, and there will be no inhabitant in it. Both man and beast have wandered away, have wandered off, they have gone away. In those days, and at that time, declares the Lord, the sons of Israel will come, both they and the sons of Judah as well. They will go along weeping as they go. It will be the Lord their God they will seek. And they will ask for the way to Zion, turning their faces in its direction. They will come that they may join themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have, lost, have become lost sheep. The shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along on a mountain to hill, and have forgotten the resting place. All who came upon them have devoured them, and with their adversaries they have said, We are not guilty, inasmuch as they have sinned against the Lord, who is the habitation of righteousness, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Wander away from the midst of Babylon, and go forth from the land of the Chaldeans but also like male goats at the head of the flock. For behold, I am going to arouse and bring up against Babylon a horde of great nations from the land of the north, and they will draw up their battle lines against her. From there she will be taken captive, their arrows will be like an expert warrior, who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea will become plunder, all who plunder her will have enough, declares the Lord. So one thing I want to point out is that Babylon was not destroyed all at once. Cyrus invaded Babylon and brought her down all at once, but this prophecy of Babylon's destruction took place over a period of time. Uh, and so this is kind of condensing that whole thing into one. Now notice in verse 2, proclaim among the nations that Babylon has been captured. But when Jeremiah wrote this, had Babylon been captured? So why would he have that declared? What does that mean? When God finds something, it's as good as done. That's exactly right. This was going to happen, and since it was God that was going to make it happen, it's like it's already happened. Because God's purposes are as good as being in the bank. You know, you can count on it. This is kind of the lead bulletin of these two chapters. Babylon as as but brought down, their gods have been put to shame, their images, their idols. And what is God going to use to bring Babylon down, according to verse 3? A nation to the north. A nation that comes out of the north. Does that remind you of anything earlier in Jeremiah? Babylon was the nation from the north. Babylon was the nation from the north that was going to invade and destroy Judah. Now Babylon is going to be conquered by a nation out of the north. She's going to experience the same fate she dished out. The new foe from the north will make the old foe from the north an object of horror and devastated. Now, this Israel and Judah were going to come back to the Lord 
and they're going to return to God, going to ask the way to Zion. When, when, when Cyrus conquered Babylon, Cyrus had the decree issued that allowed the Jews to go back literally to Jerusalem, and certainly spiritually in Christ the Jews come back, at least some of them, to the Lord. Here's what had happened to the people of Israel in verse 6. They become lost sheep. Their shepherds had led them astray. That was the thing that sent Judah and Israel into captivity in the first place. Their shepherds led them astray. When we read about the shepherds of Israel, we should think of who? The priests, the kings, kings, the prophets, prophets, that kind of people. The leaders had led them astray. They'd gone from mountain to hill. Made them turn aside on the mountains. The mountains were the places where they had the idol shrines, generally speaking. So that's a a reference to idol worship. Uh, All who came upon them have devoured them. Their adversaries have said we're not guilty because they've sinned against God. So, God uses various adversaries to destroy them. What does he tell his people to do in verse 8? Get out of there because... Yeah, Babylon's going down. You don't want to be anywhere close. You know, when lightning strikes, you don't want to be right next to the guy that it strikes. When Babylon's destroyed, you don't want to be in Babylon... So go out, be like male goats at the head of the flock. What's the deal with being like a male goat? Do they wander away a lot? Not exactly. They're the first to run out? Yes. The male goat, if you open the the gate to the pasture, the male goat's going to be the first one out the the gate. That's the idea. There's some other passages use that figure as well. So he's saying, you get out fast. You be like a bunch of male goats. You know, so uh, I didn't, I don't know if you realized what a compliment it was if somebody called you a male goat. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's a real good thing, you know. It means you're the first one out. Um, I know some uh, male goats at church, don't you? Uh, <laughs> first one's out. <laughs> Maybe you should call them that, though, if you, uh, you know, want to preserve your health. Um, for behold, verse 9, I'm going to arouse and bring up against Babylon a horde of great nations, and uh, they're going to not return empty-handed. They're going to bring Babylonians back. They're going to pillage their heart content. Chaldea will become plunder. By the way, Chaldea and Babylon are used interchangeably. All who plunder her will have enough. They're going to get all they want plundering Babylon. So, Babylon's going down. Comments or questions on those first ten verses? There's lots of things in this section, including reasons why Babylon's coming down, including prophecies of blessings for God's people. So you can be looking for those things, 11 to 20. Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed. And she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she has not, she shall not be inhabited, but shall be an utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hissed because of 
all her wounds. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her bulwarks have fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower, and the one who handles the sickle in time of harvest. Because of the sword of the oppressor, everyone shall turn to his own people, and everyone shall flee to his own land. Israel is a hunted sheep, driven away by mine. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and this land, as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan. And his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none, and sin in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Why was God punishing Babylon in verse 11? They were rejoicing. What's wrong with them rejoicing? They were rejoicing while they were pillaging my heritage, while they were like plundering Israel. Exactly. They were a little too happy about Uh them being able to destroy God's land and God's people. They were not doing this with a mentality to be agents of God's judgment. They were doing this with a mentality of, you know, selfish glee over what they were able to do in bringing Judah down. So God's going to destroy them. Going to make them a wilderness, a parched land, a desert. Totally devastated. People who pass by will be horrified. So this is the, the God bringing Babylon down. Now one thing you need to realize is that while this took place over a period of time, what would you have to say about Babylon today? Is there a Babylon today? There's an archaeological site. You know, there's a pile of ruins. Uh, if you dig down far enough. You know, there's nothing. Babylon's gone. So They took some time, but this is exactly what happened. Why, verse 14, was God going to bring Babylon down? He sinned against the Lord. Now, I want you to think about Babylon sinned against the Lord. Because that means something. How do you commit sin? Disobeying God's sin. Yes. So so we would say in 1 John 3, sin is a transgression of God's law. law. Well, were the Babylonians under God's law? If there is no law, can you sin? 
No. Did Babylon sin? So was Babylon under God's law? Yes. I think that's that's correct. Not the law of Moses. They weren't under God's law for the Jews. But they were under law to God. There's never been people who were not accountable to God's law. Sometimes people think, oh, if you aren't a Christian, then God's law doesn't apply to you. That isn't true. God, even back in the days where there was a different law for the Jews than there was for the Gentiles, there was still a law God expected the Gentiles to live up to, and Romans 2 said they didn't do it. They broke their laws just as the Jews broke the laws God had for them. So, Babylon had sinned, therefore she's coming down, the vengeance of the Lord, she's going to get what she dished out, the end of verse 15. So he looks at this from Israel's standpoint. Who was the first one to devour God's people? The Assyrians. And the last one? Babylon. What had God done to Assyria? By? Babylon. Babylon. Guess what's going to happen to Babylon? Yeah, exactly. And Israel is going to be brought back, verse 19, and graze on Carmel, Bashan, his desirably satisfied in the hill country of Ephraim and Gilead. You know where those places are? Where's Carmel? Coast of the Yeah, and what was Carmel? A mountain. mountain. The mountain that rose up from the coast, right there where that Israel juts out, right there at the Mediterranean. And where's Bashan? Where? Where was Bashan? Is it in Gilead? Yes, Bashan and Gilead are basically interchangeable. Maybe Bashan is the upper part of Gilead on the right-hand side of the Jordan River. And so forth and so on. So God is going to bring his people back. Now, verse 20 is the most incredible thing of all of these things. What, is he, what does God look for in verse 20 and can't find? Sin. Sin in Israel. Well, Israel never sinned. If you read anything earlier in Jeremiah, you would not say Israel's never sinned. <laughs> wow. Sin is mostly what they've done. In fact, look at 51.5 for a moment. For neither Israel nor Judah has been forsaken by his God, the Lord of hosts, although their land is full of guilt before the Holy One of Israel. God, the, 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 the land of Israel was full they were sinners to the hill. And now they're searching for the iniquity of Israel and for the sins of Judah and they don't find any. What happened to Israel's sins? God forgave them. Isn't that a significant verse? The forgiveness that's found in Christ. Alright, come into questions through verse 20. When we say Babylon has different laws, like they're not under the old law, so do they actually have a set of laws or like God gave them? Is that what you're saying? Or just in general? I don't know. <laughs> laws don't have to be written in a book to be laws. God had laws for Gentiles. They were not, as far as we know, written in any book they turned to to read. But God had laws. Now think about this. 
Who was the first Jew? The very first one. Abraham. Abraham. Now, before Abraham, who were the Jews? There were no Jews. There was just people. Were there any laws for the people before Abraham? Yeah. How do you know? Well, they broke them for one thing. How do you know? It's how that's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible tells me so. <laughs> the consequences show that, you know, Cain killing Abel. I came killing Abel, that was a the sin. The flood? The flood was because of all the sin. sin. Yes. Tower of Babel. Why did they break at the Tower of Babel? What law? They were arrogant. Yes, they were arrogant. They were scattered. Yeah, God said, spread out. And they said, no, stay together. <laughs> that was breaking God's law. So God had various laws, some of which we know about, some of which are not recorded in the, uh, by Moses later on. But, but obviously there were laws. I mean, did God hold Cain responsible for Abel's murder? Yes. So he evidently, for in some way or other, had a law against murder for Cain. I don't know how he communicated that. I don't know if he communicated that. But somehow he had that law and Cain broke it. So when God chooses Abraham, does that suddenly mean nobody else was accountable before God anymore? You know, why wouldn't they just be as accountable to God for whatever laws God had for people in the world after he picks out Abraham and starts doing a special thing with him than they would before? God's always had laws. Now, how he communicated them, I don't know. Sometimes we know. Occasionally, we see laws like spread out. That was Genesis 9. Wait, that was Moses later records. I don't know whether sometimes they were just supposed to have that kind of inside of them that they would know. I don't know if there are times that God actually spoke. We know a few times he spoke to different people. But God had laws, however he chose to communicate those, that they were supposed to live up to and they didn't. You can look at it this way. Now, I don't know that this is so much God's laws totally. But think about it this way. Has there ever been a nation or a people that didn't have some kind of notion of what they thought about right and wrong? How do you know? How can you tell? Because they've created their own civil government of some sort. They punish people. Yeah, so they have some idea of right and wrong. Is there ever anybody who's ever lived up to the standard he believed he had of right and wrong? No. Everybody's always failed, even in their own sense of right and wrong. Right? So, you know, even besides God's laws, nobody's even lived up to their own idea as to what right and wrong was. Everybody's guilty before that. Good question. Follow up or other thoughts and questions, comments on this section? Okay. Uh, 21 to 28. Go up against the land of Marathame and against the inhabitants of Pekah, 
Kill and devote them to destruction, declares the Lord, and do all that I have commanded you. The noise of battle is in the land, and great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. How Babylon has come has become a horror among the nations. I set a snare for you, and you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught, because you oppressed the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and brought up the weapons of his wrath. For the Lord God of hosts has a work to do in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from every quarter, open her granaries, pile up her heaps, pile her up like heaps of grain, and devote her to destruction. Let nothing be left of her. Kill all her bulls, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. A voice, they flee and escape from the land of Babylon, to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. Okay. So here again, he's bringing enemies against Babylon to totally wipe them out. You get the noise of the battle, you get the destruction. Look at verse 23, how the hammer of the whole earth has been cut off and broken. How Babylon has become an object of horror among the nations. You know, God used Babylon as a hammer to hammer the rest of the earth, and now Babylon is being brought down. Uh, they are they are destroyed because they've engaged in conflict with the Lord. The end of verse twenty four. The Lord is probably not the best person to fight against. You're not going to get away with that, and he they didn't. So God destroys her, leaves nothing left. Now look at verse twenty seven. Put all her young bulls to the sword. Let them go down to the slaughter. I wonder what that meant. What are her young bulls? Tell me all the young men. Warriors, perhaps, yeah. I think so. Give me a best. The strongest ones they've got are coming down. When God can whip the strongest, I guess he can whip the others. You know? <laughs> Bring me the toughest ones you got, I'll deal with them, Heather. Would it be related to something that they could sacrifice to maybe appease God? Could be. Could be. I'm not so sure that it is, but could be. They can, those certainly won't work either. He keeps talking about, you know, their priests and their gods and all of that. Nothing really uh, will stop the Lord. The day of punishment has come. And you've got the sound in verse 28 of the Israelites coming back, the refugees that have been captured by Babylon coming back. Notice, to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. What does he mean by vengeance for his temple? Didn't Babylon destroy the temple? Babylon destroyed the temple. Why did Babylon destroy the temple? Which time? <laughs> well, there was only one time Babylon destroyed the temple, right? Didn't they take... They did take it out more than once, that's true, but they, they, they broke down the temple walls one time. From God's standpoint, why did Babylon destroy the temple? Because he used them to prove a point to Israel. Yes, he used them to destroy the place that they had made this idolatrous shrine. Remember Ezekiel chapter 8 where Ezekiel saw all the repulsive abominations occurring in the temple. From Babylon's standpoint, why did Babylon destroy the temple? 
Because they were greater than Israel's God. That's exactly right. Now God uses Babylon to destroy the temple and then turn around, turns around and takes vengeance against Babylon for having destroyed the temple because Babylon didn't do it because they wanted to be used by God. Babylon did it arrogantly. You can, God can actually use somebody and then turn around and punish them for how he used them because their purpose was not to be used. Their purpose was arrogant. So this is vengeance for God's temple. Babylon just tried to pride itself over God and thought they could run roughshod over God's temple anytime they wanted to. That attitude of rebelliousness against God, God was not going to put up with. Comments and questions on all this through verse 28. Okay, 29 to 34. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, and camp against her on every side. Let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done, so do to her. For she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men will fall in her streets, and all her men of war will be silenced in that, in that day, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, with no one to raise them up. And I will set his cities, I will set fire to his cities, and it will devour all his environs. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the sons of Israel are oppressed, and the sons of Judah as well. And all those who took them captive have held them fast, they have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong, the Lord of hosts is his name. He will vigorously plead their case, so that he may bring to he may bring the rest of the earth, but turmoil, turmoil to the inhabitants of Babylon. So you see in 29 that God is bringing nations against Babylon from everywhere. Why? What's the 29 to 32? What's the main thing he's condemning Babylon for? Pride, arrogance. You see it over and over again. God's bringing them down because they're so prideful. Because in Babylon's mind, they were trying to exalt themselves. God hates pride and he will bring them down. They will be punished. They will get what's coming to them because of their pride. The Israelites, look at verse 33. The sons of Israel are oppressed, and the sons of Judah as well, and all who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. What does that remind you of? They refuse to let them go. Pharaoh, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say about that? Yeah. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That was a bad question. God signed him up for a 10-lesson course. You know, don't ask that. Don't refuse to let God's people go. Babylon was in the same boat. Babylon refused to let Israel go. God intended for Israel to go back to their land. Babylon wasn't going to let them. So God brings Babylon down so that he can bring his people back. Uh, God is the Redeemer. He's like the nearest kinsman who's liberating his oppressed kin people, the Israelites. Comments and questions through verse 34. Yes. Pride really is like a continuous thing through all of that. And that's something that we should pay attention to because pride is one of the hardest things to recognize. Yes, it really is. It is very hard to recognize. Do you hear people... 
you know, talking, confessing pride as much as they confess other sins? I don't. How can we detect pride in ourselves? What would be examples of pride maybe we could relate to? We're unwilling to do the hard things. Okay. Did we look at others and think we're above them? Yes. Taking credit in ourselves instead of taking uh, credit or giving the credit to God. Yes. We're unwilling to see um, what we've contributed to a conflict or taking responsibility for what we can take responsibility for. Okay. Yeah. Our reasons for doing something, whether we're looking for attention and doing it, or if we're looking for actually serving. Yeah. Boasting, bragging. You know, um, this we probably need to think more. If it's kind of hard for us to see our pride, then it may be we need to really look into pride more deeply. And there's probably not much of anything that's more anti-God than pride. Or do you think that God acts more strongly against? We need to recognize we are nothing before God and really submit to Him. And, you know, what does Jesus say about the one who exalts himself? Will be humbled. You know, when I try to, you know, lift myself up, I'm just going to be thrown down. That was bad. Other thoughts are coming. Okay, 35 to 40. The sword against the Chaldeans declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against their officials and their wise men. A sword against the oracle priests, and they will become fools. A sword against their mighty men, and they will be shattered. A sword against their horses and against their chariots, and against all the foreigners who are in the midst of her, and they will become women. A sword against her treasures, and they will be plundered. A drought on her waters, and they will be dried up. For for it is a land of idols, and they are mad over fearsome idols. Therefore the desert creatures will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches also will live in it, and they will never again be inhabited. More dwell in it in it from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with the neighbors, declares the Lord, no man will live there, no, nor will any son of man reside in it. So what's the sword of God against? Babylon. Babylon. And what parts of Babylon mostly? People and the wise people and the high people? Yeah, people and especially the wise, high, important people. Yeah, the officials, wise men, priests, mighty men, horses, chariots. You know, the things Babylon was relying on. The various aspects of the Babylonian war machine. God brings his sword against them and cuts them down to size. They are a land of idols They're mad over fearsome idols. Mad is like they're insane about their idols. They're crazy about their idols, and God is going to bring them down. And what's going to end up taking over Babylon in verse 39? Desert creatures and ostriches. Yeah, desert creatures, uh, ostriches, jackals. What is that saying about Babylon? What's it going to be like? 
wasteland. Yeah, just a wasteland. These kind of creatures are like solitary creatures, like kind of haunting this wasteland. I, I, I probably read here at some point in time, but there's that book they wrote on clay, written close to 100 years ago, from an anthropologist, anthropologist or archaeologist, Edward, Edward or Edward, I think, Kiera, that was in Babylon, and he wrote about how desolate it was. You know, you just heard desert creatures, and it was just really eerie, because before it had been a bustling civilization, and it had become just a wasteland. He said, I'd like to know the secret. Why do? Why does this happen? Is there some curse of an ancient god? Is there this and that and the other? He just goes through all this stuff, because we know the answer. But he describes it so much in terms of how God describes what Babylon is going to be like. It's fascinating. I've got it somewhere. Uh, and I, I, and I actually, I got it from the book. I went back and I found the book in a library so that I could actually see it and make sure it was real. And it is. Uh, I've actually, my, my photocopy is from the book itself. So uh, it's, it's really there. And it was written like in, the, I think in the 30s, 1930s. So it was like really weird because he obviously didn't know anything about the Bible. But what he said was just so crazy. Other thoughts? <clears throat> 41 to 46 is a bit unusual. You won't necessarily realize that when you read it. You will eventually. So 41 to 46. Behold, a people shall come from the north. And a great nation and many kings shall be raised up from the ends of the earth. They shall behold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and shall not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea. They shall ride on horses. Set an array like a man for, ba- for the battle. Against you, O daughter of Babylon, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, hands of a woman and childbirth. Behold, he shall come up like a line from the floodplain of the Jordan, against the dwelling place of the strong. But I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign like who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? Therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Babylon, and his purposes that he has proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles, and the cry is heard among the nations. Okay, now I want to do something with you. So I want you to look at verse 41. Start in verse 41, and I want you to follow me. I'm going to read something, but I'm actually not going to be reading from Jeremiah 50, but you are. So you start in 5041. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the Northland, and a great nation will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. They seize bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses arrayed as a man for the battle. Against you, O daughter of Zion... We have heard the report of it. Our hands are limp. Anguished has seized us. Pain as of a woman in childbirth. I was reading from Jeremiah chapter 6 that was talking about how Babylon was going to be the nation from the north to destroy Jerusalem. 
Now the very same language is being used for how God was going to bring a nation from the north to destroy Babylon. Isn't that ironic? The very same things that were said about what Babylon would do is said about what Babylon will have done to it. You reap what you sow. Now look at verse 43 a minute. What do you see there with the king of Babylon? How does he feel? He's distressed. He's distressed. Do you have a better word, better verb? Weak. He's what? Helpless, would you say? I said weak. Weak? Anguished. Anguished? I think you guys can do better. (laughs) Terrified. Terrified. I like that better. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even even got a better verb. It's not a real common one. (laughs) He's panic stricken. You know, when it says his hands hang limp, have, have you ever... You know, has ever you been like in a situation where uh, you were spooked by something? I mean, like you heard noises or you saw something and it just, you know, scared you to death. How did you feel? How did your body react in that situation? I mean, you lose fine motor movements, I and mean, you're just frightened. Yeah, you you almost like what? You're just like almost freeze, paralyzed. Yeah, almost paralyzed. Almost like so scared you can't even move. You know, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so scared you couldn't move? I have. You know, usually some dumb thing, you know. <laughs> you wake from a dream or something and you're terrified. You can't even, you know. I think it's the idea. Their hands hang like they can't even hold a, a gun. Your bow, whatever they're trying to hold. <laughs> That's not your an anachronism there, but uh, you know, because they're just scared to death. That's the idea. Now, do you remember a time when a certain Babylonian was that scared? Is it Belshazzar? Belshazzar, where? The handwriting of all in Daniel 5. Remember how, how he saw he was drunk? But this sobered him up. He saw this hand writing on the wall. That wouldn't have been so bad, but there was no body attached. It was only the hand. How would you feel if a hand suddenly popped out and started writing on the wall? I bet you'd think you were dreaming it. Except for one thing. It was the writing is still there. <laughs> and I felt like, ooh, you know, I don't think I was dreaming it. And he was just his knees were knocking and whatever. He was he was scared to death. Uh, so that's a literal fulfillment of that. Okay? Thoughts and comments through 40, uh, 41 to 43. <clears throat> well, I want you to be looking at 44. Okay? I'm not going to be reading from 44, but you are. <laughs> We're going to do this exercise again. So you read at verse uh, 
44, and I read, Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thickets of the Jordan against a perennially watered pasture. For an instant I will make him run away from it. Whoever is chosen I shall appoint over it. For who is like me and who will summon me into court? And who then is the shepherd who can stand against me? Therefore hear the plan of the Lord which he's planned against Edom and his purposes which he's purposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely they will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pasture desolate because of them. The earth is quaked at the noise of their downfall. There's an outcry. The noise of it has been heard at the Red Sea. Now we just read that. That was chapter 49, verses 19 to 21, what Babylon was going to do to Edom. Now it's being done to Babylon. The outcry against Edom was heard all the way to the Red Sea. The outcry against Babylon among all the nations. Babylon's fall was a harder thump than Edom's. But they're getting what they gave out. All right, comments and questions there on chapter 50. Where are those verses? 49 verses 19 to 21. It was Babylon who destroyed Edom? At least in part, yes. Other questions, comments? All right, chapter 51.